Thank you, Father, for this time. I thank you for this opportunity we have to join together as a group, Lord, to sing praises to your name, to worship you, to thank you for the work you've done, Lord, to lift up our requests before you. I praise you uh, that you are a good God, that you're a compassionate God, that you are understanding, that you're with us here this very evening, Lord, and you know all of these requests that have been lifted up to you. Father, I pray that you would um, be with each and every one of us here this evening as we prepare to transition into a time of your word, Lord. I pray that this would be a blessed time uh, just to, to continue worshiping you as we hear the truths that you've given us to live by, God. I pray that you would guide us, that you would be preparing our hearts and our minds for this message, Lord, that we would be attentive to the power of your word, Lord. I pray that you would be with me as I teach, that you would guide my speech, Lord, that it would be glorifying to you and edifying to this church body, Lord, and that you would be made much of here this evening. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Good evening once again, everyone. It's uh, nice to, to see you all here. Um, it's been a pleasure just to, to be back in the study of the word, um, going through preparing uh, for our, our Old Testament studies. It's always a, a great time, an opportunity for me to get some extended time in God's word and um, for him to speak into my life as well as to prepare for the teaching here on Wednesday night. So I hope that um, you guys are able to benefit from this even close to as much as I have been. Um, so we're continuing tonight our study in the book of Numbers as we go through the Old Testament. Um, so for some of you, uh, I would imagine most of you probably remember, um, last week was kind of the, the peak of the book of Numbers. Uh, we talked about the, the Israelites, their wanderings through the wilderness. Uh, they had left Mount Sinai and began in earnest their journey to the promised land, to the land that God was giving them, that he brought them out of slavery and was preparing them for the special place that he had, had set aside for them. Uh, so the Israelites journey through the wilderness. Um, they've been traveling under God's leadership for some time now, and they get right up to the border of the promised land. They're right on the verge of being able to fulfill this promise that God had given them, to see that come to fulfillment. Um, so many different things for the people of Israel. And they have this opportunity. They send out scouts, these leaders from the tribes going to spy out the land and see what it's like, see what they're up against, see what it's going to be like to conquer and the good life that God has promised them to see if it really matches up to the promises that God had given them before. And so the spies go in, they scout out the land, they come back and they report to the people that it is indeed a good land. It is a good place where they would be blessed and bountiful. Um, they'd have good crops and be able to amass wealth and success as God had told them they would. But there were some obstacles, that there were fortified cities, there were strong people living there that were well organized, uh, some that were even of large stature that would be difficult to fight. There were some big issues with the land. And the majority of the spies, the majority of the people, rebelled against God's leadership in this setting and chose to not have faith and to instead trust in their own ways and their own thoughts and turn back from this great promise that God had given them, that they were right on the verge of taking hold of. And so 
they rebelled against God, tried to appoint a leader even to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery rather than moving forward with bravery into the promises that God had given them. And the consequences for this, we see God step in. He threatens to just annihilate the entire nation and start over again with Moses. Moses prays, intercedes on their behalf, and God spares them. Because of their disobedience, the 10 scouts, the 10 leaders, the men who had spied out the land and were supposed to be leading the people in obedience to God, were immediately struck dead. The remainder of the adults left in the nation, uh, the people who were supposed to be seeing these promises fulfilled, lose out on that opportunity because of their disobedience. And so began what will come to be 40 years of wandering in the wilderness away from the promised land that God was going to give them. And so that's where we find ourselves here tonight, that uh, this is the very beginning of this extra 38 years of wandering that we're going to see, that all of the adults who were part of that initial census of the book of Numbers, who were supposed to be going in to experience God's blessing and capture the land, will instead wander homeless in the desert and die there, leaving the next generation to take on this great role that God had promised them. And we see a lot about God as we study through this. I think uh, it's one of the primary reasons we study the Old Testament even, is to understand more of the nature and character of God, how he deals with people, and who he really is. That the God we see here in the book of Numbers is the same God we know and worship today. And so in our study here tonight, we're going to see God's faithfulness. Despite the immense failure of his people, God is still faithful to his people and to his promises. We're going to see mankind's propensity to sin. That it is so easy for people to wander away from God, to disobey his promises, and to be drawn to sin and to wrongdoing. In that we see man's need for forgiveness and for grace, that mankind is doomed apart from God, that we cannot accomplish anything truly good and lasting apart from the work and the blessing and the forgiveness of God. We'll also see a little bit about man's needs for boundaries and reminders that because of the propensity we have towards sin, towards wickedness, towards falling the deceit within our own hearts, that we need to be reminded of who God is, reminded of his promises, reminded of his faithfulness, and reminded to follow him, even when things are difficult. And we also see a little bit about sin as we study through this, that nemesis of all people that follows us around wherever we go, that sin cannot be taken lightly, that sin is serious, that there are ways to deal with it, but that it's something that we need to take seriously. And so if we're going to walk away from tonight with one point from this chapter, it's that God forgives the repentant, but he punishes the defiant. And we're going to see some regulations and some laws God gives for people in both of these situations as we read through this passage here. So all that being said, let's go ahead and dive into God's word and see what he has to show us this evening. We'll be starting in Numbers chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, 
saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering or in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of oil. And you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hen with the burnt offering, or for the sacrifice for each lamb. Or for a ram, you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hen of oil. And for the drink offering, you shall offer one-third of a hen of wine as a soothing aroma to the Lord. When you prepare a bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for a peace offering to the Lord, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-half a hen of oil. And you shall offer as the drink offering one-half a hen of wine as an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for each ox or for each ram or for each of the male lambs or of the male goats. According to the number that you prepare, so you shall do for everyone according to their number. All who are native shall do these things in this manner in presenting an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And so we notice in these verses here, this is kind of kind of an awkward shift. That last week we had two straight chapters of narrative covering Israel's rebellion against God, the scouting out the land, uh, the decisions that were made, Moses' intercession on behalf of the people, um, and God's judgment passed down to the people. And then all of a sudden here we shift gears and God's just handing out more laws. It almost feels in some ways like we've stepped back into the book of Leviticus, that we're seeing um, these regulations for sacrifices, for things that God is doing. And I think there's a reason for this. We look at the context here, we see that this is immediately following, at least in the book of Numbers here, Israel's rebellion against God and the punishment that was handed down to them. And so we see just by how this is placed in the context that God wants to remind his people to follow him. The other interesting thing that stands out is he starts off this section. The Lord spoke to Moses in verse two saying, when you enter the land where you are going to live, which I am giving you, that despite Israel's rebellion, despite their disobedience, despite the fact that they failed to follow God, to obey his commandments, and to take hold of the blessing he was giving them, that God was still going to bring them into the land, that he was going to be faithful to the promises that he had given them, that God is faithful. He is able to bring about his desired results regardless of the actions of people that God is a faithful God. And when the Israelites do finally come to dwell in the land, that he's reminding them, he's commanding them that they should be grateful, that these regulations for all these sacrifices listed here are different ways that they can show gratitude to God, they can show thanksgiving to God, that they can worship God because of all that he has done. So God, in the end, will bring about his purposes and he will be faithful to his promises. And, um, as a reminder, the, the promise of Israel to dwell in the promised land, this was such a big deal to these people that God first gave this promise to Abraham so many generations before. Um, and that they can hope in this as they wander through the wilderness. They're beginning this 
38 years of just kind of waiting for the generation that was, was leading at that point to die out and for their children to take their place. And that in this time of difficulty, of seemingly aimlessness, that they can still have hope in God as they start this time. And that they can still be grateful to God as they undergo a very, very difficult stage of life, I'm sure. And in this, they can also have faith. Faith that God will complete his work. That God is still good. That he's still the same God that delivered them from slavery. Verse 14. If an alien sojourns with you, or one who may be among you throughout your generations, and he wishes to make an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the alien who sojourns with you, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the alien be before the Lord. There is to be one law and one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. And so these couple verses here cover a lot of the same concept as what we had just read, except it's dealing with the alien, with the foreigner, with the sojourner who may be with the people of Israel. Um, It's assumed that as Israel goes about life, especially once they come to dwell in the promised land, that there would be other people, non-Israelites, who would be around, who would see the way that Israel lived their life, the way they worshiped God, the way God led them and blessed them and provided for them. And it's assumed that some of these people would see that and want to take part in that. Um, That they would want to worship that same God. That they would want to be blessed by that same God. And that they would want to give thanks to the God of Israel. Um, That other people would be blessed by this. And again, we see how faithful God is. That as they're starting this wilderness wandering, God is telling them they're going to come to a place where other nations, other people around them will see how blessed they are, how good their God is, and want to take part in that. And when that happens, God tells them that these men are to be subject to the same laws, the same regulations, and they're given the same access to worship God. Um, That that looks a little different in the the temple, the tabernacle. Um, There were certain areas that were to be set apart and holy just for the worship of God. But as far as knowing God, offering sacrifices, obeying God, they were to be allowed that same access and they weren't to be discriminated against or treated differently and really in some ways this is part of the fulfillment of the promises that God gave to Abraham that he said that he would give his offspring a land that he would bless them greatly there and that in that all the nations of the world would be blessed and the ultimate fulfillment of that of course is the coming of Christ who brought forgiveness and access to God to all mankind But I think a little piece of that, too, is just the blessing that these Gentiles could experience by coming to know God and to worship God. That Israel was to draw people in to the worship of God just by how they lived life. Um, That they were to fulfill God's purpose to make him known, to make him glorified throughout the earth. And that other people would come to take part in that by that work. And so we see in these verses here that mankind, that people, that followers of God should encourage other people to join in that worship. That that's been God's purpose from the beginning. To make himself known, to make himself glorified. 
And so we need to seek those opportunities to do that, to live our lives in a way that testify to the God we serve. And when people see that, they see that difference. They'll be drawn to it and they'll want to know that God. And when that happens, they have the same ability to know and worship that God that we do. Verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where I bring you, then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall lift up a cake as an offering. As the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. From the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord an offering throughout your generations. But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments, which the Lord has spoken to Moses, and we'll continue on with there in just a moment. But So this one describes another offering that the people of Israel are to give. That when they enter the land, again, God is telling them that this is going to happen. That it's not a question. That he will bring them into the promised land. That when that happens, that they're to be grateful. They're to sacrifice some of the first fruits that God gives them back to him. Um, We covered that back in the book of Leviticus. There were a couple different feasts that they were commanded to celebrate of remembrance and worship to God. Um, The feast of first fruits was to celebrate the beginning of the harvest. Um, the bountiful blessings that God gave them. They would give back to God the very first of the fruit or the grain or whatever it was out of gratitude towards God and also in dependence on him, trusting that he would give more beyond that. And so they have to be dependent on God. This is a reminder of that, that they are fully dependent on God and his goodness and that they're to be grateful for his goodness that this is a God who is generous and who provides for his people. And again, this also gives them hope that as they're wandering the wilderness, continuing to eat manna, waiting for people to die, that they can hope that God is with them, that God still cares for them, that he hasn't forgotten them, and that he will bring them to that place where they will have abundant crops, where they will have things to sacrifice back to God in thanksgiving and love for what he has done. And again, for us, this is a good reminder too that um, it may not be quite as um, concrete a concept for those of us who who don't um, participate in agriculture as a lifestyle, but nothing happens apart from God, that all the blessings we receive are from the hand of God, that nothing we have could be attained without God, that we need to be grateful to God, be willing to give back to him from what he's given to us. And remember that He is the one who makes all things happen for our good. Verse 22. But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, even all that the Lord has commanded you through Moses, from the day when the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it shall be, if it is done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bowl for a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they shall be forgiven. For it was an error, and they have brought their offering, an offering by fire to the Lord. 
and their sin offering before the Lord for their error. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be forgiven, and the alien who sojourns among them, for it happened to all the people through error. And so this section is a little bit of a shift in gears, that previously we're dealing with sacrifices of thanksgiving, of gratitude, um, of a reminder, really, of their dependence on God, uh, that this is moving again into sacrifices for sin, much like we covered towards the end of Leviticus. And it's interesting to note that some of the earlier paragraphs we've read through, it is assumed, it is reminded that God will bring the people into the promised land, that he will be faithful to his promises. The beginning of this section assumes that they will sometimes fail, that they will sin. It says, when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments, that they will sin, they will fall short, that it's not a question of if. And this is dealing with when the nation as a whole falls short, when they fail to follow God, when they fail to uphold his laws, to obey his commands, to live the lives that he has commanded them to that as a collective group, that they will do this, God tells them. And he tells them what to do when it happens, that they can be forgiven uh, by repenting, by seeking God's favor, by making these sacrifices and returning to God. And this shows us, again, so much of God's character, that God is kind, that he is forgiving, that he is understanding when even his people fail to obey him. And we also learn a little bit more about people, about nations, that they are prone to stray, that it is easy for people to wander away from God and from his ways, that this is, again, God's chosen people in this time period, that they're living in the physical presence of God, led by the pillar of cloud and fire with the prophet Moses, whom God spoke face to face with, and they still are able to wander away, to disobey God, and to stray from his ways. And so God wants to remind them to obey, to follow after him, and to seek him in humility when they fail. Verse 27. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the sons of Israel and for the alien who sojourns among them. And so these sections cover kind of the same thing. Again, it's assumed that the people will sin, that they will fail. So the earlier section was talking about if the nation as a whole wanders away from God's commands. This section starts off if one person sins unintentionally. So collectively, they will wander away from God. They will make mistakes. They will have to repent and turn back to God. And individually, this will happen too, that people will sin unintentionally without even meaning to. It's interesting to think about that, that God has this ability, this um, law written right in here to deal with this problem, that people sin without even knowing it, that our sin nature is so part of who we are, that it's so easy for us to walk off the path God has given us, that they have to have a way to deal with that when it happens, when we realize that we have sinned, that we have strayed from God's plan, um, 
and gone away from what he's commanded us to do. And again, this is accidental things um, that, that we don't even realize we're doing usually. And we're reminded here again that God is forgiving, that he has made a way for people to be right before him, even when they don't follow his commands. And we see again that mankind has a very easy time walking away from God and from his laws. Uh, that the sin that dwells within, of us, within each of us because of our sin nature we can easily lead us astray to follow after our own devices rather than what God would have us do. We also see again that the Israelites will fail, that it is not a question of if. Much the same way, we also will fail at times. We will fall short of what God has called us to. And it's in those moments we have to remember the God we serve. Remember that he is just and holy, that he is kind and merciful and forgiving. That in those moments we have to turn back to God, repent from our sin, and trust in him to love us, to save us, and to bring us back into that right relationship with himself. That sin nature is so strong and so easy to follow that we must take care to follow after God. Verse 30. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be on him. And so again, this is another kind of a shift in the text here, that we start off with sacrifices of thanksgiving, of love, of gratitude, of thankfulness, and reminder of their dependence upon God. We move from that into sacrifices when people mess up, when they accidentally transgress the law of the Lord and stray from his plans. And so this section talks about defiant, willful sin, that this is when a person knows what they're going to do is sin and continues to do it anyway. This is kind of a different deal. Um, and this tells us so much, again, about who God is, that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God must be obeyed. Um, we see, again, just how easy it is for people to rebel against God. That Sometimes it happens on accident without people even realizing it. And sometimes people know what's right and what's wrong, and they still choose to do wrong, to follow their sinful desires instead of the holy God who has called them from that sin. And the punishment for this is much more serious. It says that when a person sins defiantly, that he is blaspheming the Lord and that he should be cut off from among the people. He should be cast out from the nation of Israel. In verse 31, it says that doing this, that sinning willfully and defiantly, that this person has despised the word of the Lord and broken his commandment and that his guilt should be on him. That this willful sin this willful disobedience, knowing full well what the person is doing, is despising the word of God. That there are serious consequences for this. That this is not something to be taken lightly. 
And for us, I think it's a reminder that we have to be careful how we live, that actions have consequences and they have costs. And the people of Israel saw this very graphically in this time, that they're just coming off walking away from the immediate on-the-spot death of a bunch of their leaders for failing to obey God, that they were about to enter in to rest and to blessing in the land God was giving them. And because of their disobedience, they lost out on that and had to wander in the wilderness for a generation. That there are consequences and costs to our sins and that we must not take that lightly. And so we see kind of two contrasting ideas here. That there's, there's a cost to sin that God is also forgiving, um, especially for, for those, trans, those transgressions um, that are done unknowingly, done accidentally. Um, and I think a great illustration of this, um, we think about, uh, especially for those of us that have kids, you see, you know, as, as I haven't experienced this too much in my life yet. My kid's just starting to become defiant. But um, you have, you know, the accidental things that happen. You know, the kid does something wrong, and it's like, okay, well, you didn't know better than that. That wasn't something you were trying to do. You know, that, that's either they don't get discipline, they receive lighter discipline, whatever it may be. But when, you know, your child's reaching out for that electrical cord, and you say no, and they look right at you and keep reaching for it, that's a different matter. And that's when the discipline gets real, for that willful disobedience and rebellion against God. Having kids has definitely taught me a lot. It's, it's a good reminder of the sin nature that dwells within us. So if any of you guys doubt that, just find somebody with a, a kid, especially a toddler or something. It's, it's an adventure. But. Uh, so this passage is interesting. Um, as we continue to read through the chapter here, we see that it really kind of has a built-in illustration for us, that God gives these commands, these laws, these regulations for thanksgiving, sacrifices, for forgiveness, for um, someone who unknowingly does wrong, talks about the severe consequences for knowingly doing wrong. And then right after this, we have a story of someone who knowingly does wrong. So let's pick up in verse 32 and see what they do with it. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so this is an interesting passage here. I mean, if we read this out of context, this seems pretty harsh. That it's Saturday, it's the Sabbath, this dude's out picking up sticks so he can make a fire. And they're going to kill him for that? I mean, that... That seems a little out there. But when we see where it's placed within the book of Numbers with this chapter, with this passage, and we understand the other commands and regulations that God had put around this, it makes a lot more sense. Um, we know first off 
that work was forbidden on the Sabbath. They were commanded to rest on the Sabbath, to not partake in work. Uh, so going out and gathering wood would have been a transgression of that commandment, that he was already not supposed to be doing that because that would be doing work on the Sabbath, on the holy day of rest set apart to God. We also know, looking through the Old Testament, that it was forbidden to build a fire, to have a fire on the Sabbath. So he was gathering wood on the Sabbath, presumably to build a fire on the Sabbath. I would think if he was waiting for the next day, he probably could have gone and gotten wood then. And so this man should have known that he was not supposed to have a fire on the Sabbath. He should have known that he was not supposed to be working, gathering wood on the Sabbath, but he did it anyway. Right after God gives them all these commands, right after the people knew what God had told them to do, that they were supposed to go in and take the promised land, and they didn't do it. And so this is another example of someone willfully rebelling against God and against his commandments. And God chooses to punish this man potentially more severely just to illustrate the point, the purpose of what he's doing. That God is just and he is holy. His commandments have to be taken seriously. And a people who desires to know God, to glorify God, and to live in God's presence has to take his commands seriously as well. And this man did just the opposite. And so he had to bear the consequences. He had to suffer the outcome of his actions. And so he was executed for this, potentially as a reminder to the rest of the people of how serious God was about this, that God is absolutely holy that his word is absolutely true, and that he must be followed. Verse 37. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each, cord, each corner a cord of blue, it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot in order that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so again, we see another kind of shift in gears here. There's laws given, sacrifices, obedience, disobedience. And we see punishment for rebellion. And then in this one, God's telling them that they should put tassels on their cloaks. What, what does that have to do with anything here? And so this is a command. This is a reminder that God was giving the people, that he gave them all these laws, um, all these commandments that he set out these consequences for their actions to remind them to obey and to follow after them. And this was another way that they were supposed to do that. That they're told to put these tassels on their cloaks so that when they see it, that it will remind them to follow the commandments of the Lord rather than following after their own hearts and their own eyes. We see here that God sets up boundaries to help people obey and to help people experience his blessing. That these were to be reminders for that. 
Uh, it's interesting just to look at this passage. Um, again, it reminds us how much we need to be reminded that it's easy for us to forget God's commands. It's easy to, for us to forget his character. It's easy for us to follow after our own heart and our own eyes, which said in this case, played the harlot, that it led them away from God into spiritual adultery. Um, I'm reminded of a professor I had. Um, his, uh, his favorite Bible verse that he shared quite often in classes was Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all else. Just this reminder that apart from God, apart from his spirit living within us, that the heart of mankind is wicked and seeks after sinful desires and its own good, and that we constantly have to be reminded to go the other way, to look to God instead of to ourselves. Um, and that following after our own hearts, as we see in this passage, is one of the worst things we can do, that we need to seek truth and hold fast to that and let God's spirit lead us as we crucify our sinful fleshly desires and follow after the God who made us. We see that God also restates to Israel that he is their God, that he tells them again that he's the God who brought them out of Egypt, that he's done all these things, that they are to be set apart and special as his holy people for his glory. And that people who are to glorify God have to be holy and be obedient to him. Which again brings us back to our point for this passage. That God forgives the repentant, but he punishes the defiant. That God is a God of grace and compassion, that he is forgiving, but he's also just and holy. We see when Moses uh, was praying for the people of Israel last week, um, when he was interceding with God on their behalf because of their rebellion, that he prayed back to God the very words that God revealed about himself. That he was slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, that he forgives iniquity and transgression, but that he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations, that that is the God that they followed, that he is kind, he is forgiving, but he's also holy and he's just, and he demands obedience from his people. And I think it's interesting for us too as we think about the timing with all this that um, for those of you who were here this past Sunday we just studied Matthew 27 uh, which covers the crucifixion of Jesus that Jesus experienced everything that we learned about last Sunday because of us because of sin because of you and because of me Jesus had to go through that that forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness should not be taken for granted. That yes, God is a kind and compassionate God, but that there's a cost to his forgiveness and we should not take it presumptuously.
And so for our kind of big picture connection with all this, uh, I was reading an article earlier this week that uh, referenced these verses from Isaiah. I usually try to find something in the New Testament for some of these verses to tie it in, but I think um, Isaiah speaks so much of Christ and of the hope we have in the gospel. So Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That this is the God we serve, that he loved us enough to suffer such great wrong on our behalf, that he suffered, was tortured, died and was separated from God the Father so that we would not have to be. And so as we go from here tonight, let's thank God for his grace. Let's take hold of his freedom. When we sin, let us seek his forgiveness and walk in the obedience that he has called us to. That forgiveness is costly, that sin is serious, but God is good. Let's thank him for that. I thank you, Lord, for this evening. I thank you for your love and care. I thank you for the message you've given us here in the book of Numbers, Lord, that is just as true for us here today as it was thousands of years ago for the people of Israel. I pray that you'd be with us as we live life, Lord, that we would remember the seriousness of sin, the cost that we were redeemed from that sin, and that we would be quick to repent when we see that sin. I pray that you would keep us from those willful, rebellious sins, Lord, that when we see that choice between obedience and between sin, between indulging the flesh and between crucifying those fleshly desires and following you, Lord, that we would choose you, that we would remember that you are so much greater, so much better, so much more wonderful than anything the world has to offer us. I pray that you would be glorified here in our hearts, by our singing, Lord, and by the way we live our lives, God. That every day we would be a testament to your glory and to the power of your gospel. We pray these things in your name. Amen.